Welcome to the Bangover Podcast. 
Today we're bringing you another anniversary episode, and as always, I'm Scott Allen, and Chris Myers is here. Chris. Always, always Chris Myers. And today we're talking about Nine Inch Nails Pretty Hate Machine. This will be uh, 30 years. October 20th, 1989. Uh, another crazy October album of just this industrial... I guess that's what industrial bands just wait for October to release an album or what? Because we have maybe been working all year, working hard all year, put it out at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, uh-huh. I guess you want to get it in stores before Christmas. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, uh, at the, I, at the time of physical sales, I'm sure that was a a thing to consider. Yeah, have it out by like holidays and when people have money to spend. I mean, who knows. Could have just been scheduling. <laughs> Again, I, I like the whole, this thing we got going on because we found these albums in October of just Amy Christ, Ministries, Land of the Raped and Honey, and now Pretty Hate Machine. <clears throat> it's all adding up in such a great way. Um, so many things, so many characters from the same story as before in our prior episodes when we talk about Pretty Hate Machine. Again, this should have been a little before the Manson episode, but it's just how these albums were released, and we can't we we have no control over these things. So, uh, recorded between May and June of nineteen eighty. So eighty nine. Oh, eighty nine. I'm sorry. Um, one of the fun facts on that is listening to interviews of Trent saying he had all this already done, like. The whole album was pretty much recorded what, what he was doing in these, uh, you see the list of studios? Yeah, I was going to say there's uh, a ton exactly. of studios that so. cross the continent and uh, world, actually. I mean, they go across the country. Yeah, and over to England. Yeah. Um, going to England over to the Blackwing Studios because he wanted to work with producer John Fryer because of his work with Depeche Mode and, you know, like... This whole album has that very kind of Depeche, uh, Depeche Mode feel. There's a lot of bands that are doing this at this time. Um, Trent just came out with this and just blew people's mind because it's not like just one or two songs on this album are fucking great. It's like the entire album mm-hmm. is received very highly by fans and critics mm-hmm. from start to finish. Like, really not a bad song on here. Well, it flows really well, even though it's like 44 minutes yeah. long. It, I mean, speaking of like all the the reception and stuff i mean so many people have given it you know high regards as far as like one of those albums you should hear yeah and just and then you know you have pitchfork rolling stone uh the av club all music pretty much all of them unanimously are giving it like praise and high scores you know so if you're into music outlets you know critiquing yeah. stuff then and besides for the handful of producers that is that are uh, uh that is on this album um it was really just trent that did all of this again mm-hmm. so having most of this having the entire album pretty much finished before going into one of these bigger studios like blackwing um using the smaller studios like the right the right track uh and then what was that? Synchro sound and yeah. unique recording studio. Exactly. Just kind of like, so the story is he starts off being a janitor, you know, mm-hmm. at the, the right track studio. 
and kind of just working his way up to engineer. That's what people did back in the day. Yeah. If you wanted to work at a studio, you you went in there, you got them coffee, you yeah. cleaned, you did air and work. Yeah, you did all that stuff to work your way up to in, assistant to assistant to, to then. Yeah. yeah, and then you know like being kind of the janitor of this place late at night he was able to work on a lot of his own stuff experiment and try to work things out because trent's always been musically talented uh musically talented starting off like playing instruments when he was like five years old so his whole life he's just grown up playing like multi-instruments this guy plays everything i don't know if he's a better guitar player than you and probably a better drummer than me it, it's one guy. Yeah. I mean, the story, you know, of the album is he did all the recording himself. As far as, like, all the instrumentation. He played all the physical yeah. instruments live. He had other people fill in. And even in the studio, had other people helping with production. But that's as far pretty as much like, where these people come in. Yeah. People like Flood, which is Mark Ells. Um, I believe that's how you say his last name. Let's see. But everyone just calls him Flood. Mm-hmm. That's kind of his... You know, mm-hmm. music and, production name, if you will. And he only did, as far as production tracks, one and two, which are Head, head Like a Hole and um, Terrible Lie, which will be our next song. And then he did some synth programming on uh, two, and, two and six. So, you know, yeah. even though Trent's playing it, there's people behind the scenes that are you know, doing whatever programming. I'm sure at that time you have rudimentary type computers and it's probably different, like straight MIDI programming. You know, it's probably different back True. than the equipment you're using. Well, he wanted to really work with these producers because of their work mm-hmm. that they've done in the past. And John you know, Fryer, like you mentioned. Yeah. Hypo um, Luxa. I mean, um, um, what is that? Adrian um, Sherwood? Adrian Sherwood, yes. Sherwood, yeah. Which you can remember from the uh, Ministry episode. Mm-hmm. He was the producer on Land of the Raped. And he only he did uh, Down In It. That was the song that he... So, yeah. So the story I kept hearing time and time again was like, he went in here to work with people like Flood or uh, John Fryer, but some of their ideas and opinions weren't his own, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he really loves their work, but when he goes in there, they're trying to critique it and trying to move it around where he was like no i already had the idea i want it to be like this and that's why he moves back and forth between these producers to kind of just mm-hmm. find pieces that he I mean, likes their like inputs if, on small yeah. things but not really wasn't really about like especially people like flood that's why he only did those two songs because when he went in there he wanted to do the whole album with them he was really changing the sound and the idea of how things are going to like yeah. feel and, you know, be well, betrayed on this album. It's kind of smart to do that. I'm sure it took, well, it, in Trent's case, he's, his, he's, he's original idea. He's working you know? in a studio, like his job, he's kind of like in the studio. So he has Just people coming people. in and yeah. out. It's very easy to have, Hey, critique this, work on it a little bit and True. give me your opinion. Whereas like, if we were to do something, like it, it'd be like contacting them, going to their place, bringing our material, you know, there's so much, involved in having literally you know you know it probably in the double digits i can't even count it off the top of my head one two whatever yeah people working on the same song several people up to like three people engineering one song trying to find the right you know yeah you don't and this is your first album and you're nobody you don't that doesn't necessarily you don't get that you know 
that uh, some would say maybe it's a luxury kind of yeah like have the opinions of these people and, and have them work on it yeah if these very talented you're workshopping well received, it across yeah, yeah producers that have mm-hmm. done a lot of great albums which on the second half of this i'm definitely going to get in more of these producers and mm-hmm. their work that that they have done this this album would set the tone for like him working with people because you know to this day he's still atticus ross right ever since i don't remember which album but he just i think maybe the slip uh or something no Ghosts. i believe it was ghost ghost yeah ever since then Every Nine Inch Nail out. He's pretty much a part of the band now. Like, I think or he's no, equal. What it was, yeah, was Trent leaving for a while? Like, I think his last album was 2014 called The Hostile. Or well, the they did first. a soundtrack together. Yeah, he leaves for a while, like stopping Nine Inch Nails and starting up other bands like How to Destroy Angels. And one other, I can't remember, which was with his wife at the time, uh, Mary Queen Magnus. And... Mm. Atticus Ross, and they did How to Destroy Angels. Uh, have you ever seen that movie Oblivion, right? Sci-fi movie, Tom Cruise. The beginning of that song is called Oblivion. Mm. The, yeah, and it's How to Destroy well, they, Angels. They also did, um, was but it before when, that, they yeah. did uh, Social Network. I and then they did The Social oh, Network, okay. won a Grammy for it, and started doing more scorn. So they did like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, yeah. and it was that whole... Um, Led Zeppelin song, uh, you know, come down yep. the end of the yep. and go. But you know, it was sung by Kim O, and oh, they won another Grammy cool. for that. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty sick. Well, after that, that, he's probably like, you sure. know what? And that's the American re- remake of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He's probably like, we're working together forever. We're winning Grammys. Yes, you know and I mean? then reforming Nine Inch Nails and having yeah. him I mean, he's like a permanent, me- yeah, now, like a yeah, permanent member type music thing. partner. And fun fact, if you're up to date, they are doing the Watchmen series. Oh wow! So that's something I'm interesting. looking very forward yeah. to that. First episode yeah. premiered a few nights ago, and I'm gonna watch that later. But it said the 19th or was it the 20th? It was this Sunday that premiered. It's already <laughs> so it's on right now. Yep. Oh my it's god! Yep. Well, so what I'm doing after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but back to that. It's just uh, him working with him. Not only that, but doing music scores that became like a big kind of you know a very big deal big deal it's just showing this back to the point of working with all these different people how even from the beginning has been very collaborative even with his work it's like i'm the head of the snake and i this is the way it's gonna be but i really want to get the feel yeah i'm not you know maybe i'm not the person to hear what adrian sherwood hears on track three he's only doing that song and maybe he like heard the rest of the album, like, hey, I'm going to play you some songs. But track three was the one that he actually worked on and gets credit for. And same with other people where it's like um, Richard Patrick, only credited for drone guitar at the end of track four. It's all he did. And then other people, you know, just doing one or two tracks and then some people up to like and, six. Yeah, and so Richard like, Pratt, uh, I'm sorry, Patrick is the... Founding member and frontman for Filter. Oh. Fun fact, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. Damn. Going on tour for the Pretty Hate Machine right after recording this. Mm. Because, again, this is all Trent Reznor in the studio. This only took one month because it was already recorded. This is just a lot of mixing and mastering going in there. Mm-hmm. And, like, what you were saying, 
he gets more collaborated like down the line like in his later career past the 2000s more so than now he yeah, really yeah. sticks by this his guns. start you yeah. see it like, but he is he he loves working with people because that's how you really create good music mm-hmm. any any good musician knows that you can't just do it by yourself you need but, somebody to check you yeah. sometimes and someone and vi- and also to just it add their spice to the pot and yeah, add their, you exactly. Know, just, their flavor, their mm-hmm. their style of playing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still my gumbo or whatever the fuck I'm cooking, but it's you know what I mean. Yeah, that type just of adding thing. a little yeah. bit more salt in some getting this per- Yeah, so it it's a good. St- I, I would say it is not um, typical for someone to do something like this on their first outing, like album debut yeah. album like. well this is this is so crazy because part of the story is he he was in uh, many of bands back in the early 80s exotic birds being one of them and they're all just kind of like synth poppy so he i don't know what it is he's just not feeling this type of music or maybe wants to do something different so he takes a year off and that's when he starts working at these studios as a janitor cleaning up stuff and he starts working on this album and already found his band name you know, Nine Inch Nails. And it was like a really fun fact of where that name came from that I can't remember at the top of my head. Oh, which one? Uh, the name Nine Inch Nails. Oh. I believe it came from a review that um, Al Jorgensen read about uh, this album coming out or about his album, about... Land of the Raped and Honey, and that was the review on Land of the Raped and Honey. It sounds like someone's putting Nine Inch Nails into my ear. And from the review mm. of Ministry, he gets the idea for Nine Inch Nails. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's a good connection right there. Yeah. And then we talked about it before. He was a roadie for Ministry prior to that, too. Yeah. So taking a whole year off, working in a studio, trying to really craft his... His industrial sound. Yeah, He's and been- then... Yeah, comes out with this album and it blows the fuck up, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just takes it over right away. Selling, like, being at the top of the charts when you're literally a no one and you don't even have a band or, like, a, like that big of a label really to push you because if you know anything about TVT, they do a lot of, like, jingles yeah. and stuff for commercials. Novelty so stuff. just not the right label for this type of band. Yeah, you know, it's you almost know? like NWA being on the same label as the California Raisins. It's like, why? What? Okay. Yeah, like uh, Slayer <laughs> being on Death Jam. They have it's the money. What? They yeah. have the money. I mean, or it's not, they're going to fund it with the least overhead type of, like... Well, they just. I don't think they know how to promote something like this. And it's a very dark... And this is, like... You really want to shop this around to like the club scenes and stuff like that. Late night radio, get those disc jockeys to play mm-hmm. this like underground type of stuff. It really would make it blow up. But these songs are that good to where, like, even with a shitty label, it was well received. Yeah, yeah. Even it's, with it's, that, because it just same, uh, you heard it and it immediately catches your attention. That the record company doesn't have to fund the marketing, and that's maybe something they jump. They're like, okay, we don't have to. We can't mar- really market this the same way we'll market the California Raisins or that we'll market these jingles. We'll let you handle it because you are more in touch with what is going to promote and push the album. So, you know, you probably hand over some of the marketing ideas to Trent Reznor or NWA with Easy e being like, no, yeah, we're going to do but, it this way. We but pr- they did not. <laughs> no, yeah. 
Not on this album, not with Trent Reznor. Um, the feud started right away after signing this. And it was, a, just to back up a little bit, it was more of him recording this entire album and then having to shop the album around to mm, labels. Yes. Or maybe it was the single first, but it's still having a little demo taste of what I can possibly do. Because again, he might have just needed the money to go into these bigger studios to get that production sound right, you mm. know? having all the ideas or all the tracks ready to go for the main studio. But um, never heard of this label afterwards. <laughs> and um, I don't know. It was just the wrong label for him to sign to. But yeah. it really put it steered him in the right direction of where his idea in the whole business side of music, like his idea and thoughts about that, I, I'm sure start from signing a really bad fucking label. But at that time, what? You're 19, you're 20? Yeah. And you sign to a label, you get a record deal, and everyone around you is like, what? You know? You came out with a whole album yeah. yourself. You wrote it. You pretty much, you know. Al said it best. Like this kid that was our roadie that helped us with our equipment, like literally two years later, is on the cover of Rolling Stones playing Lollapalooza mm -hmm. like holy shit you know what I mean and uh, that's another part of this it's, too where the, the label's just gonna run you down on a you know, fucking tour list it's taking I think Trent's you know being kind of smart too with like creating the music cause like this album it's hard but it's not like we were talking about previously it's not as hard as post this album where it like starts to amp, amp up literally with amplifiers and guitars and like starts to bring that a little bit more yeah to the table um this this album's pretty dancey like there's some like pretty dancey but we yeah. do have had like a hole yeah you have, you like, do terrible have eyes. yeah we hear some bass like some real bass yeah in some of these tracks the guitar but no the, real drums the songs are like they're more uh fri pop. friendlier yeah. to a wider audience and multiple I would, you know what I mean? Just, just a wider audience. It's like Whereas like music. Ministry, club. the band he's coming from as far as like influence and just working, you yeah. know what I mean? That type of thing we were just talking about. Like that's more hard. That's like a kind of a niche specific type of audience, even in industrial, but he's taking that sound and energy and kind of morphing it to like be more sexy, be more like, his his raw his other like, side because his voice is very pleasant. Yeah, very. When pleasant. he when yeah. he's being like, for example, in something I can never have, it's so slow. So it's it that's almost a ballad yeah. song. Uh, it's one of my breakup songs. Yeah, yeah. but that's a song that get me crying. Nope. But it, you know, I mean, it it at the same time, then you do have head like a hole where he's screaming and whatever, and that is on the same album same balance and then that's what's going to carry on to that's what's going to grab the audience so you have those intense songs that are capturing the niches like the ministry fans and all that but then you have something i can never have that's going to get your girlfriend into nine inch nails where ministry cannot do that no matter right. what ministry does because unless you're they're going to write something like that which would be completely left field and then you're going to lose your hardcore niche. You know what I mean? You start to... Ministry has definitely done some uh, sensual songs on albums later on, kind of like pulling into it. Uh, his Al can put his voice wherever he wants because yeah. of this whole computer synthesizer thing. So he sounds pleasant before, but there's something about the way Trent plans out his like 
cadence of his vocals, how mm. catchy, how poppy, how exactly. like pulls right pulls you right in. Every song on this, it pulls you right in. Every album after this, still no matter how gritty and destructive the sound gets, the vocals are almost still like I can still understand him. Mm-hmm. It it still draws you in. It's very pleasant to listen to mm-hmm. no matter what. It's it's not like how death metal can really put off someone. Exactly. Where you get a little scratchy. Um I always refer back to like how Gojira, just a pleasant, heavy voice, you know, just a heavy, pleasant voice. I think Manson has it. Um, these industrial bands, they all have a, like a little aspect of like, or they, they do a little bit of singing, but this is the whole thing. It's like before this music came out, all this industrial, this dance, this synth sound was all poppy and mm-hmm. just kind of lighthearted. Like they it just makes sense for over time for things to get a little bit more grittier and darker and really adding in the metal aspect, which is kind of a little bit on this album, but it's, later it's on down there. the line, it's still it gets very really crazy. And he still even yes. has some of the like tropes you would go like that. There's yeah. weird, like, dun, 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 like dun. the synth, the sequencers he's using are of that time. So he's going to kind of have those sounds. That's why I like listening to it. I was like, it's, it's almost dated. It's weird to say that, but it, I think it's dated in the not in the songwriting. It's dated in the actual samples he's using. Oh, he's like, using like yeah. like the sounds are so '90s or '80. You know, early '90s. Right. They just sound like it. And listening to this album, and it just takes me back to that time because of Land of the Rape is the same way in some ways. Kind of, yeah. yeah where it's, it's like, well, it's like these old samplers and the yeah, it's the very first like portable samplers if you will that people were able to bring on stage and stuff and it wasn't like that giant one that you had in a studio Mm -hmm. where fucking takes up a room or something like there was only so much you can really do and so many sound effects that were there yeah or the equipment around like the synth like yeah if if you had this one synthesizer if everybody had it everyone's gonna sound like that or kind of sound similar like of course everyone can be different have different patches and blah blah but you know, if, if we're all using the same gear, at least in like a a generation, you know what I mean? Where it's not like maybe each band, but it's just over this five year period, this one thing was pretty yeah. popular. So it's everybody the best kinda, thing that you can possibly buy yeah. in a reasonable price range. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's multiple bands. But like, it's, it's like that with a lot of things. Yeah. Guitar pedals, all kinds drum of Drum machines yeah. are another thing. Drum machines. You know, there's like yeah. one standard drum machine for... Like the 808. If you yeah. didn't have an exactly. 808, and then... Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get into another song, because yeah. I do have to pee. Cool. Terrible line. Let's, uh, let's check yeah, it out. Yeah, we're just... these. We didn't really want to go with just the singles, but, you know, there's a lot of good songs on here that we could have picked yeah. from. But the singles are really good, too, and going back to it and just listening to it. Is awesome. But fun fact, Terrible Eye is not a single. Yeah. Tell a lie. Tell a lie. 
salvation comes only in my dreams I feel my hatred go all the more extreme Can this world really be as sad as it seems? It's hard to believe that wasn't a single, you know, because um, I think that was like one of the first songs. Well, the first two songs on this album just kill. Um, Terrible Eye is, I guess, a little bit slower yeah. than something like Head Like a Hole, Brr. you know, yeah. or even Down In It. Um, 
I don't know. That was just like one of the staples I always thought that was like, this is one of the biggest songs, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think... I probably just got that yeah. underground radio play like, hey, I want to hear the uh, Down in a Hole off the new Nine Inch Nails album. They're like, okay, we'll, we'll play that. It's not the single, but... You know, That's it true. Out, yeah. So just I remember those radio requests. They yeah. call in and request a song. Um, again, fucking so much to say. No, oh yeah. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about these producers and get into that because um, I find it always fascinating. Our neighbor's dog is barking oh, a, really loud. I hope that doesn't There's a dog out there. Yeah. But um, let's start with uh, Martin or Mark. Ellis. He was born in August 1960, known for his performances, or he's, he's known as Flood, if you will. Mm. Um, just a, a nickname, if you will. Uh, British post-punk alternative rock star producer or rock album producer. I'm fucking all this up. But the whole point I want to get to was all the acts he works with. It's insane. Because we're talking with New Order, YouTube, Nine Inch Nails, of course. We're just talking mm -hmm. about that. Uh, Depeche Mode, all the Depeche Mode albums, if you will. Um, the Ministry album, Land of the Rapes. 30 Seconds to Mars, Nick Cave and the Bad Seed, Smashing Pumpkins, The Killer. Yeah. And that's just the ones that I picked out of the list of like 100. Like this guy has just collaborated with everyone as well. Got like a, Brian Eno. He got a Grammy for working with U2. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that was in like 2014, so still right there making some of your your favorite albums of all time, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to this type of sound. Uh I'm not really the biggest fan of 30 Seconds to Mars, but listening to those albums, you're like, wow, the the production is really good. It's it's just everything's crystal clear. It's loud, it's kind of in your face. I like it for that aspect but i'm not really the biggest 30 seconds to mars fan or the killers you know but those mm. those are always like really clean sounds yeah and well produced um i would definitely say i would be more into something like nick cave and the bad seeds where um that's so weird that he can kind of go back and forth but given that right this old sound of you know you were saying a little bit how this might sound a little outdated maybe that ministry album as well landed the raped um it's still very loud and intense, and it doesn't sound low like an old recording would, you know? Like, old recordings are just kind of like this mid-level... That being said, we're in the age of reissues and releases, and a 30-year album like this had plenty of time to get redone, remixed, and brought up to speed to modern-day technology. Mm -hmm. Just transferring it onto a CD, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, ups the production value a lot too because imagine getting this on a cassette tape you know when it first yeah. came out yeah it would be better to listen to definitely on a cd um and i mean he's uh we can talk about some of the remastering and stuff he's done this album i mean trent's always been really kind of big into uh like re reissues putting extra song you know even the remaster reissue has an extra song on the album, yeah, a Queen song, I believe. Um, or get, is it just Freddie Mercury? I'm not sure. Get down and make, or get down, make love. Yeah, um, on one of the reissues, and that was off the very first single. Very first single. I can't talk today, folks. I'm fucked up. It's a Monday. Um, Halo One. Everything is marked in a halo. So mm, this yeah, being yeah. Halo Two, Halo One, 
is with, I believe, down in it and had like a hole. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it's only like three songs when you do these was singles. The, the singles, yeah, yeah, they had three songs on it's them. It's kind of something that you make to shop to get Dem- money. Demo yeah, type of demo thing. Yeah, demo it out. Yeah. And he does this with every album still to this day. Mm-hmm. And going even further in between to where it's like coming out with an album like Broken and then getting uh, the next album being fixed. And it's just the remix. So Broken and then fixed mm-hmm. is like all the remix yeah. of Broken. So he does this constantly. Uh, it's kind of like his staple is like trope where... Yeah, it's we in the saying, Halo thing. Like, yeah. Even to, like, they're still counted as Halos to this still day. Still to this day, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so in 2010, it was remastered, had that bonus track, probably had a little bit of production remaster too. I didn't really see any liner notes on that. Um, what is it? Um, it? So Pretty Machine went out of print through TVT, again, just because they signed to this smaller type novelty label. They weren't able to keep up the actual production of the album. Yeah. So they then reissued. They it then got reissued by uh, Ryko Disc on uh, 2005, November 22nd, with a slightly modified packaging. Um, and he's uh, he, Reznor expressed interest in a surround sound remastering with new remixes and similar to what they did to Downward Spiral because that one got a pretty heavy remaster. Um, so he's always been into like taking his stuff making it sound even better to a more, a more modern audience. Yeah. Um, do you think that's like being a fan, does that kind of bother you in any way? No, it's awesome. Like, I mean, they have, he because is, it's not like how it is with, when it comes to star Wars and like, I'm, I'm going back and adding all this CGI and all these extra yeah. special effects because the technology is here today. I mean, technically he's doing the same thing with this pretty hate machine, like, or his other, I mean, with any remaster, it's like that. I don't mind it at all, especially when it comes to albums. I'm like, yes, clean it up. Yeah. Straighten it. Clean Uh, it up. Sometimes it kind of fucks with you. Right. I like hearing both. And I like when a remaster does that. Like, for example, we did the Nirvana one and that's how you do it. Give me everything. Like if you're going to do a super deluxe type of a thing, give me it all. Give me, the Steve Albini, Butch Vig mixes. Give me the, you know, even though he did two songs. Give me those two songs. Give me the Peel remixes. Give me, like, everything. Right. You know what I mean? So that yeah. way, it, and even the originals. And that's what I'm saying by those remixes because they were those original tracks. So you could go back. You can actually, like, listen to, oh, this is what it sounds like here. This is what his mix sounded like in fucking 97 or 96, whenever the fuck. Isn't know? that a constant theme in all these episodes and how like we talked the Devo episode and how Brian Eno had a way different idea of how this album's going to sound mm-hmm. and saying like, fuck, I wish we had those we had old, the in- exactly. we had the old prints of that so, so we can go back it. and hear like this old take on the album, you know? Not hear that that needs way. to be it, but that it's good to, it's same with the Star Wars. It's like, it's fine to do your vision because it's your art and but like, and still have the old but let me access yeah. the old the fact i think that yeah, we the, can only get on vhs tapes that's the like big crime in that one is that there is no way like for you to properly go out purchase or even view the original cuts of star wars you have to get them illegally bootlegged whatever find find an old print you know basically go through hassle to just see the original version where it it you know 
you're forced to see the change. That's what I don't like. Like, give me the option. If it's there, if it exists, you know, you can still go buy a 90 or 89 pressing of the album and hear it. You know, those are out there, a CD or whatever the fuck, you know. But I'm I'm still curious on whether or not he ever got back the rights of this music. I don't think I ever got that no. fact. So, yeah, so, so the, that's a horrible record contract he signed because it's been 30 years, and yeah. you would think like well, still well, a shitty one would be 10 years, so, right? That's yeah. a, still a shitty record contract to sign. TBT yeah. had it all the way up to 2005, where they couldn't keep up with it. They sold it. Uh, probably licensed it. Who know Ryko Disc, but it was reissued through them, right? But Trent still does not own it. And yes, yeah, so then on March 29th of 2010, the recording rights to Pretty Hate Machine were acquired uh, by uh, the Bicycle Music Company. Who the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. And then on the 22nd of 2010 of October, uh, Risner he announced the the remaster was going to be released in the following month, and the remaster was going to have a new cover art, which is kind of what we see so that's, now. That kind of sounds like him getting back the rights for the music, so he can go in and remaster and change. It sounds yeah, it sounds like whoever Bicycle Music Company is kind of was maybe on Trent's side a little bit, where like uh, they they just probably want a small share of the uh, mm-hmm. the re release of the album and stuff like that. Yeah, and it actually the version that is out right now. If you go on to Spotify, whatever, if you go up, that's the album art, the reissued album art from that time, and that's uh, by Rob Sheridan. And then uh, the original album art, which I'm sure you've seen, is more pink. It's kind of like right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's uh, if you go by the CD, like an older version, you you'll see the original album art. It's more. Um, what would you say? Neon, Turks, you know, turquoise. turquoise and yeah. pink, and you know um, the fonting has even changed. The layout is different. Um, just more colorful. The other one's just black and white. It's just <laughs> black and white, straight yeah. across. You know, it's the same sort of like rib cage bicycle. It looks like a microphone, actually. Something. Now seeing it in the black and white, kind of looks like a, a grill of a mic. I don't know. Either way, uh, they they reissued it. Got the bonus track, the Queen song. And then, uh, uh, a, what is it? A queen cover? Yeah. And then um, that was re. Okay, so it was reissued, remastered by Tom Baker at a Precision Mastering in Hollywood, California. So again, taking it and just making it sound more modern. Which I don't mind. Uh, cleaning stuff up, just bringing it more to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many albums I wish that was done too. Yeah. Which I, I don't think the the artists like would want that in some ways because some people are just like oh that's what I was going for you know what I mean mm-hmm. but I would love to hear something like the Bad Brains first album just a little bit more clear <laughs> yeah. I just want to hear those songs loud you know because it it really does you if you have it in like a shuffle mode you know on your phone and it clicks onto a bad brain song and then immediately goes to something like a slayer song mm. oh, wow what a fucking sound change yeah. you're like i gotta turn it down all the way fucking down um and i want a, a correction on the last the uh, previous thing i had said about the sequencing on what they were using a macintosh plus so that's what uh 
that that was the technology of the future that time. that uh track that we were referencing um which was it the synth programming um we uh, we were talking about the guy that did it i don't know there's too many programmers <laughs> i don't know uh either way it uh you know I love, um, I saw a video of Trent like on stage at a show talking about, it was, he was about to perform like had like a whole, and he was asking people like if they own this album oh. and yeah, saying like, it's super fucking overpriced, isn't it? Because I think even back then they were selling it for like 20, $25, mm. just probably the, the highest amount that you could charge for an album. And he was like, he's like, I fucking... We rally, we try to get them to lower the price, but if they don't fucking want to do it, I say, you should just go out and steal it. Steal. So just really just telling his fans. And, and that's something I love about Trent Reznor. He really is more about the music. Mm-hmm. It's not about making money with him. It's not about, oh, these are my fucking songs. Like, don't you fucking download my shit for free. Yeah. Like, you want it, you got to pay for it. He will give it to you. He'll not only give you the song, he'll give you the whole, like, studio session. Yeah, you can go in, you can go in, remaster, yeah, see exactly his vocal tracks, play with them, play with the sequencing that he did. You know, it's all right there. It's basically GarageBand sessions that are available for you to download and open up and have your way with. And it's very cool. You know, I think not a lot of bands can do that just because of like music rights and stuff. You have that, and then on top of it. You know, um, but it's not as fun because yeah. like it, there's a lot of keyboards and stuff and it's really fun to go in there and fuck with that stuff. Whereas like if you got like a, I don't know, name, yeah, a bad brains, like garage band session, it's just like a bunch of guitar and bass. Like, you can just remix track. it. It's just yeah. like, I'm sure that was all done on like one, like a four track. I mean, yeah. Probably a four track. It's just yeah. all done live. You know what I mean? Take yeah. it, take it, it away. Um, this is like the only album though where it's like he doesn't really own the rights because after this is mm. when he signs on to go with uh, his own record label signing mm-hmm. to Interscope and then starting his own sub label Nothing Records. Mm-hmm. So it was right after this and that was such a great story as I talked about the ministry episode was um John just sitting on the phone because going in with the interview for Trent Reznor cuz if you if you watch that fucking documentary on HBO what is it called the um the Defiant Ones. Mm. And it talks about them starting Interscope Records and them going out and just finding all the craziest bands they can possibly find. Seeing Nine Inch Nails perform, he knew he had to get them to sign. And at this time, fucking Trent's arguing with the record label. TVT. Yeah. Or and just, just immediately yeah. conflicted. Like, there's conflict immediately. So... During that time as well, he's going off and playing with like House of a Thousand Homo DJs, going and doing pig face stuff because he wasn't able, they, they weren't allowing him to make another album. That was another statement he said on stage too when he said, go out and steal this album. He's like, I know everyone keeps asking me when I'm coming out with my next album because everyone loves Pretty Hate Machine and everyone keeps asking me, when's your next album? And he doesn't know because the studio got him like stuck in this record contract, just binded on this contract and not allowing him to go and do what he wants to do next. So really being like, Oh, you have to stay more synth poppy. Like don't go outside of this, Mm -hmm. you know, this little circle that we have where we think you're going to make the the 
money that you should make, you know, or sell to the right audience mm -hmm. and what is in or what is out. And John, that was so great. John getting on the phone and just sitting there and pumping in quarters and calling them and breaking that record contract with TVT to get him to pull out. Because at that time too, he's starting to record Broken. And if TVT found out that he was recording another album without them, oh, he would have been fucked. He mm, been, that's their music. Yeah, mm. it, he is theirs. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails yeah. is theirs at this point. Not just Pretty Hate Machine, but the band itself. Mm -hmm. And even Trent himself is probably obligated to only be in Nine Inch Nails. Can't show your face anywhere else, you know what I mean? Doing all these weird side projects was the only way he could stay up and keep doing things. Because I believe Broken didn't come out until three years later, if not a little bit longer, because of breaking that contract and everything and just well, that and the sitting in limbo. The, yeah. The touring. I mean, we can. Because it was in 1991 where he signs with Interscope Records. He, so that's just sitting there for two years touring. Three. Three. 88 to 91 is the. The extent, uh, uh, pretty much the Pretty Hate Machine tour series, and that starts October twenty first of eighty eight and goes to September thirteenth of ninety one. So he's pretty much just touring just off the single tour eight legs, and of then tour. going inside and doing the whole album in the middle of all these tours. Eight, eight separate tours for the you know That's eight another legs. Thing they did back in the day, they just made that band go out on God. the road as soon as like you did anything, and then stop. Record a fucking record, get back on the fucking yeah. road, like well, nonstop. Again, we could talk about, you know, the tour as far as the tour for Pretty Hate Machine in like a whole episode, but it is, I mean, uh, just some cliff notes of it. The first tour, the the or the first leg of the tour actually only had three people in it. Uh, Trent's just playing guitar and doing lead vocals. They got uh, Ron, um, two other members filling in for keyboards and Richard drums. Patrick, I believe, was. He wasn't in it yet. No, this mm. was just three people, and this was um, this was an eighty-eight October twenty-first to uh, November second. So really quick, you know, one, three, four. And who were they playing with? Like just eleven like days. Some older uh, industrial nope. bands at this time, or is it? They're the opening band for Skinny Puppy. Okay. And then they played um, the. Yeah, they played pretty much. Uh, the purest feeling sessions and then the upcoming pretty hate machine album. This, that was their first one. Then they actually put out the album cause this is 88. So they're playing, like you say, these songs that are just kind of ideas and stuff, pretty much the songs from yeah. the album. And then they actually hit the road for the album. The album has come out. It is October 22nd of 89 and they hit the road two days after the album comes out, they're on tour and they're playing, um, looks like eight or nine dates. And With that, Guns N' Roses. This was opening for Skinny Puppy, Skinny Puppy again, uh, but this was for um, this was when they actually had the full band. So you have Trent, Richard Patrick, Chris Vrenna on drums, Gary Tulpas on keyboard. Chris Vrenna, uh, just to go back, I just want to talk about him for a second. Um, ministry. <laughs> mm. I mean, I talked about him in the Ministry episode. But he was like in all the Nine Inch Nails album. We talked about um, the um, Lost Highway soundtrack. Mm. All all the drums for all those songs too. So like always in the background being that drummer that fills in for someone that fucking needs a drummer. Uh, mm. Playing with Marilyn Manson in like 2003 and up. 
his list of bands is insane. You know what I mean? Well, he actually was doing, so that's funny. He's doing the programming and key and keyboards on the first leg of the tour. So, and there's three people. Chris Vrenna is in playing drums. It's actually it's Ron. just programming. It's Ron Masara. He's playing the drums on the first leg. Ron Musara. Then Chris takes over the drums and then you have Ron's out of the band and they filled in with Richard, Gary, and Nick um, respectively doing their own, they're all their own things. That's when, yeah, they first start, the albums come out two days later, they're on tour, they're playing. Um, The set list is pretty much the whole album. I mean, pretty much playing the whole album. It's 11 songs in the set. And then uh, from there, they're again, you know, same members are pretty much in the band, but they're like losing some. Um, you know, th- after that leg, that's those eight dates, they hit a bigger leg. And this is probably one of the biggest on there, uh, the third one. And it's just going all through the states, you know, from Chicago all the way to Tennessee, Pennsylvania, you know, all over the place. And that they only have four people. They lost, um, let me see, who'd they lose? Gary. So. I mean, Inch Nails essentially is Trent Reznor. You just get a bunch of guys to come in and play it live. Yeah. So Jeff Ward comes in. Fuck yeah. uh, After Chris leaves on the. Jeff Ward, Revolting Cox, Ministry, Mm -hmm. my favorite, Lard. (laughs) He's an amazing live drummer when it comes to filling in for these uh, synthesizer parts and just nailing it. On the sixth leg of the tour is when he comes in. So, and this is the Lollapalooza tour. This is the sixth leg is the infamous Lollapalooza set. 1991? Uh, Yes, they're on tour. Uh, Jeff Ward, James Woolley has taken over keyboards and programming with uh, Richard still playing guitar and Trent. And so that's, you know, they're they're doing, um, looks like uh, a, a... Pretty big handful of dates. They're hitting Canada in the middle of the tour. In the middle of the tour, they hit Toronto, and then they go right back to Massachusetts. Very weird. Um, But, yeah, this is where you have the Lollapalooza. Well, the craziest thing back in this time frame, too, and this point in music, uh, touring was separate from the record label. The record label would essentially outsource another company to set up these Mm -hmm. tours. Uh, A lot of record companies didn't put these tours together they were very far apart and it wasn't again you just said like just go up to fucking toronto and then shoot back down to some it's just all over the goddamn place because it's massachusetts yeah Yeah, it's it's mapped out in the places where like oh they're gonna sell tickets here here and here Mm -hmm. and just skipping a lot of places you know we talked about in the nirvana episode no bands ever going to seattle ever Mm-hmm. Hence, why so many bands came out of Seattle because Seattle, they yeah. needed they they, they wanted music their own music. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, so that's the sixth leg. You're hitting that Lollapalooza. Jeff Ward stays in the band, and pretty Fuck much yeah. it's the same lineup after that. European tour is what kind of um, kind of like fit, actually it might have been the seventh is the Lollapalooza. Either way, they ended on a European tour. And uh, when were they playing with Guns N' Roses? Yeah, European tour. The, and that was just not good for them. Like not the same. In Germany, they were throwing fucking sausage at them. I was like, I don't know if there's a sausage vendor or German people bring their own sausage from home, but it, like they were like, what a bad idea to play that show because 
obviously they're not going to be fans. If you're fans of Gun Guns and Roses, you think you're going to like love Nine Inch Nails? It's very different. And all we have your reference points for Nine Inch Nails is what maybe a song on the radio and yeah. this first album. You know, Nine Inch Nails now. Oh fuck yeah. It's like ungodly, like what their fan base has become to. But this is like, you know, the start of this type of music as well. And just not a good band to really open up for. Not similar in any way. Mm -hmm. I could see that tour nowadays because it's like you're going to just have two big acts selling out. Right. Because we've seen stupid shit like that, like Smashing Pumpkins and uh, Marilyn Manson, where you're like, why would these bands tour together? The the Guns N' Roses one, there's only two shows. Oh, thank did, God for them. Yeah, they only did two shows. I think because didn't they just leave the tour early? Well, it was I don't know. It was their first one European tour or just for, first tour in general. I think where they kind of were mixing headlining and supporting because at this time, um, it says the album had come out. It's ninety one, so it's been out for a few years. On top of that, uh, Europe has a really big dance and industrial type like that's. You know, yeah, I believe it was like uh, seventy six on the charts in they, Europe. They they really like that. They gravitate to that t- uh, type of music, and um, this was right after that Lollapalooza show, which was sort of ground like historic in the band in the sense that kind of catapulted them even further into like the zeitgeist in the mainstream. You know yeah. that set. So they, and because of that, they they got they played four shows in Germany alone, just because of how the fan base and the music and the the scene of Germany, and then finished out throughout the rest of Europe. You know, France, UK, all those other places. Um, I, and that that is quite a tour for one album you know we talked about like gojira and just all these other bands that seem like they tour for like five years on an album we heard it on every episode we learn it on every episode of these bands before they even get to come out with their first album as soon as they sign to the label they're immediately on tour Mm -hmm. opening up for bigger acts or bigger than them at this point and right after this tour these eight month dates or these uh however many going into the studio recording for like a month or two and immediately going back two days later after the album gets cut back on tour Mm -hmm. and just never stopping it it's exhausting we saw it with fugazi and the strange thing about fugazi was they're under their own label him owning (laughs) he didn't have to go out and do this it's just how you got the uh the momentum for an up-and-coming band you know or is it just like needing the the constant um product to come out like you have to do that follow-up each year like how back in early 2000s when it came to video game franchises where it's like this first video game became a fucking huge hit now we have to follow it up a year later Mm -hmm. with the sequel before fucking christmas comes out you know to like really cash in on this because if we lose that motivation we lose. We wait two years. People forget about you. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, but I think it needs to stay relevant. You know, so it has to be every year. That tour, picking your tour and doing it right. You know, pulling some dates, hitting a big festival to keep you relevant again. Hitting some more dates. Like that's exactly what they did. Yeah. They they that's did. What a, bands are still doing kind did, of to did, this day. Did just a, kind of picking and choosing more where they they want to play, not just mm-hmm. doing, you know. 
the Spike TV video game fucking mm-hmm. festival, fucking whatever, you know? And it's super smart to tour, do a small tour right before the album, tour immediately as soon as the album comes out, a small, another small one, and then do a big stretch tour that then you do a couple more of those maybe, then you get booked on this big festival that garners a lot of attention and now people are like oh Lollapalooza who was playing oh this band they had a really good set I heard they were really cool they just put out an album you're just getting buzz 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 and then you hit Europe which is like that scene you know you're an industrial band and you're going to Europe where it's like every niche yeah. uh, Cure, Depeche Mode yeah. uh, David Bowie <laughs> and it's like just every niche of uh, music has its wide fan base there that can really like appreciate it they'll they'll turn out because not a lot right. of stuff comes in on top of that like again going to Europe first yeah. and trying to sell this album before you even bring it over to the states even if you are an American band that's what you kind of did back in mm-hmm. the day and for whatever reason last yeah and it's like I mean I, is I couldn't uh, plan out a tour any better than the way he did and play as many shows as what he did. You know what I mean? Maybe, I wonder if it was at the behest of the record label or if it was maybe his idea to like, okay, I'm going to get these members, we're going to do this leg from here to here, do another leg from here to here, you know, hit everywhere across the country, went to other countries, you know, and this is his first outing as Nine Inch Nails kind of like solo your name everything's on your back you have these people that are there to help you but but fucking crushing it yeah. dude live uh just destroying, destroying on stage. instruments yeah it's just, and the energy really bringing, bringing the energy, energy yeah. yeah and you can kind of see it developing more into this heavier sound as we're gonna get going with the later albums which it's so weird looking back and looking at the album right after this broken and then going into downward spiral and so on and so forth mm-hmm. there is not as many as you think there are mm-hmm. and a lot is really just big gaps and pauses in between albums that were just because Nine Inch Nails is just Trent Reznor it's really just him sitting there creating all these sounds and pumping them out and it's it's very strange uh, i think it was right after you talk about all these tour dates. Imagine like the popularity of something like fucking uh, Downworld Spiral, exactly, yeah. and just touring forever on that, and then just taking I think eight years until his next tour, till like two thousand and two. I think when I went to go see him for the first time, like when he comes back with uh, with Teeth, that yes. album, that was that's uh, that was great literally album. him yeah. coming back after Frank Irwin's yeah. Center. I think there was great. <laughs> I think he probably went on tour for the Fragile, and that was like a really big tour because the album wasn't really well received. It's such a weird album. It's two discs. There's all these weird placement of songs, yeah. and it's again, it's just him, and it's going on this different path of Nine Inch Nails from how we were in Downroll Spiral, and all these remixes and the touring, and dude, I, playing these, hearing these songs live is insane. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about. Bands going faster or playing them heavier anytime they play on stage. Nine Inch Nails is no different. It is insane where it's so much more heavier. Like all the songs, 
every single one of them, even when they were heavy on the album itself, it still gets even dirtier and grittier. And in some instance, I really like the live takes more than the album. Because, again, there's no drummer like on any of this. Ever. There's really no live drummer. I think I think he's sampling Maybe drums. in the split, I think there might have just that been Josh be. Freeze going in there. Yes, you always it's always yeah. a sample. You just but get yeah. a real drum kit There's sample, no. but it's not real. But again, so when you play it live and you have that real drummer, that very experienced drummer, the fucking professional, he's gonna add a different flavor. He's gonna mm. bring a different feel and make it make it come to life. Because everyone's always like that's what people always say, and I don't, I don't always agree with this fact. Where they're like, it always sounds better live. Everything sounds better live. Like every band, I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking know if that's entirely, entire true. Like sometimes it's too loud. It's, it's the venue, blah 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 blah. Yeah. But I do understand like seeing them live. It can change your point of view on something. Like black metals, whatever. But if yeah. I see a black metal band play live, it's like, holy shit, this is awesome. You know, it really. I don't like that band Muse, but seeing a live video of Muse, you're like, Jesus, God, you know, like they, they put on a show. Yeah. Putting on a show is such a big thing. It is very important. Yeah. And I do, that's what I'm saying. I was listening to so many live tracks and hearing like a real good drummer like Josh Freeze or Jeff Ward is just, it brings new flavor to the song and it makes it feel more real life. And it it still sounds perfect on stage. I've seen them twice, and it's just always just still to this day phenomenal mm. live performance every time. I was a little sad because the first time I saw them, uh, Queens of Stone Age opened up for them, and no one cared. There was one person in the mosh pit just going dancing. Everyone was just standing there looking dumb, and I'm like, what? okay, this is yeah. like 2006 or whatever, but still. And as soon as Nine Inch Nails hits the stage, the whole fucking crowd just lights up and goes insane. But I was, I felt bad, you know, for Queens of Stone Age because I was like, this is an awesome bill. Mm-hmm. And no one gives a fuck about Queens of Stone Age. They're like, we're here to see Nine Inch Nails. I don't know. Nine Inch Nails, there's, these are two different bands, but um, you've heard some of their collaborations? Uh Josh Homme and yeah, 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 so good, man. Um, I love when they come in on the that weird album. What is it called about that music board? Help me out here. Mm-hmm. They did the documentary. It's about that mixer that Dave Grohl bought. Oh yeah, yeah, Sound City, I think. Sound City, yeah. Some really good collaborations between those three. Yeah, um, I love Trent. Uh, some people were like, oh, you're such a dick face back in the day. You know, drugs will kind of do that. I, alcohol. Yeah. We talked about him, like, well, hooking up I think with the, fucking the next Courtney song actually Love. might actually why does, be about that. Why does Courtney Love always come back into a story? And why does Guns N' Roses always come into a story? We're talking about Nirvana and Guns N' Roses is there. Every episode, Guns N' Roses just happens to be in the background. Fuck, fuck Guns N' Roses. All right? Yeah. And Corny Love. I just couldn't believe that. Um, yeah, I think you know, the, the stress Down of in touring, it, I think, is, yeah. uh, which is the next song. I think that's about drugs, too. I mean, the stress of touring, so, yeah. like all those dates. Or and just, just the stress of everything. Just being exhausted, you know? Um, he starts to get his head back together 
later on, like coming back and doing with teeth and yeah, like didn't think I love this uh, quote that he said was like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I can create anymore. I didn't feel inspired. Like after, after I stopped doing drugs and drinking, I didn't know if I could really create music and just taking a really long break. And then when he gets back to it and starts to work on with teeth, he said, it's, it's just flowing so much better. Like his ideas just come out more clear. His concepts are more well perceived. Um, you just, it, it was easier not being on drugs or alcohol yeah. and being kind of drunk or like hung over all the time, if you will. Because yeah, it's, he's so fucking talented when it comes to writing a song and that's what makes it so strange. And we have something like broken that is like six songs and then getting to downroll spiral and taking a really long time and getting to yeah. weird albums. And it's not till recently, like with teeth, and up that we get like real Nine Inch Nails albums, you know? So a long career, but really kind of just sprawled out and he really picked and choose what he was going to do where he wasn't just going to pump out anything at any given time. He had to like really be truly inspired and he has to think it's great before he just puts it out there. Well, uh, let's get into the next song, which is kind of about, is that, kind of about that drugs sort of it feels like it so wow Somebody. I'll cross my heart, I'll hope to die, but the needle's already in 
That's one of the songs I'm surprised that's a single. Like, I didn't think that when I first heard this album. I didn't think that was the single. I was thinking, I was, I was saying it's kind of goofy because I of think that, because the way of he sings. Yeah. How goofy it is. Like it's the, very childlike. Yeah. Well, he's on TVT, the novelty record company. So he's like got all these child, I'm sure they were like, that's my favorite. Rain, rain, go away, come again another day. Hey, <laughs> I didn't even think about it like that. That he's like kind of writing this song, kind of like more like stick a needle in my eye. Like literally, all of these all, tropes. They're all jingle. Yeah. They're all jingles. Yeah. Oh my god! And he's on a record label that is known uh, for releasing we want that jingles. To be the single. You said that's <laughs> why it was the single. I just thought it was like kind of like played in like um, in clubs and stuff. But I, I could see something more like towards the end of this album or even the slower songs on this album really being played at a club. You can play this entire thing at a club. I fucking hear DJs all the time at my work and I don't know why anyone doesn't well, sample in like these old ministry, this old, yeah, you know, skinny puppies. I, I haven't seen one yet. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. so much. You can take this and make a whole nother album. We learned that from MWA. We would just sample all these industrial albums and create our own industrial album. You make a good point. This could be played on a dance floor in a DJ club. This could be played. That would be weird to dance to. A metal venue, you know, like a metal scene, like any of the kind of it kind of crosses all these genres. Could you imagine that song being played live, like real guitar and shit? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's way better. Yeah. Yeah, it's more like a rock song. Yeah, I mean, Nanish Nails in my mind has always been a rock band. But it's well, really just taking that industrial like layering system on top to create something. More down the line, they become rock, and then they'll kind of get back to it. Have you listened to any of their new albums? Nine Tales? Yeah. Yeah. 2018. I mean, the uh, latest Witch. one. Bad Witch? The latest one that came out. That was all like back to the club music kind of thing. And there was um, the 2014 one where it was more like a rock and roll band again. And I think with teeth just kind of felt like that to me too. More like back to, I don't know, just 
you're just writing really good songs. He's just known for like the synth- uh, synthesizer effect thing. And it's not like that style ever went out of like popularity, you know? Like, yeah. People still listen to that, you know. What do they call it now? It's just like electronica. It's this is just the older version of electronica, really. Mm-hmm. Eventually, um, it will get gritty again. I'm sure, you know. I mean, start to take that swing. That's why I, I gravitated towards like the heavier elect, like yeah, Fat Boy Slim or like Prodigy or like these like. Prodigy got kind of yeah gritty yeah really because they used real guitars again. So it's one of the only what they would call techno, they're just using these words for the time frame, right? Because no one calls anything techno anymore. But wouldn't bands kind of like, I don't know, Little Dragon and stuff like that kind of be considered techno? Little Dragon? Yeah, no? Or is that more electronic or dance music? Something like the Yeah Yeah Yeahs where it's You say Imagine Dragons? Yeah. Is that what you're thinking of? What did I say? Little Dragon. Oh, yeah, Imagine Dragon. (laughs) Uh, I'm not well diversed in this... I, would, I mean, I'm just saying words. Yeah, it's trying. I'm trying to like think of a band nowadays that kind of to everybody now this is kind of more mixing of a DJ in kind of keyboards thing. and stuff, and so it's like a like uh, industrial to this level that's like kind of peaking right now. I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head that's like you know on the radio. You know, it's yeah. I don't know. Even to this day, like these songs, these bands still still play on the radio. Yeah, these Nine Inch Nails songs still play, and it's different than anything else that's on the radio. There's sometimes it's refreshing because it's like, oh, you know, like we were saying, the the, like to hear this old sound, these old '90s samples, when you turn on 101X and it's just a bunch of like modern nonsense or like even classic rock or whatever the fuck and this comes on you're like oh it's a little bit of electronica it's a little bit of this it's a little guitar yeah, this it's used to bit. be what you would hear on the alternative radio stations yeah. more so you know before it's on alternatives it's on, came uh, yeah. out and shit like that so i don't know um i really like uh, just industrial music for that reason of this kind of repetitiveness but the the Very screaming repetitive. the screaming and the guitar work that was put in you know it it really it adds a lot to it because it's it's all it's all like electronica music right it's all yeah. kind of danceable well, and these it, you kind of have to think it's machines. a different mindset you're not writing a song on guitar the guitar is just in the song you know it's like yeah, that's a weird concept too where you're like you kind of just come up with it on keyboard you can't first and play kind of work those. the play this shit a cover on an acoustic <laughs> guitar what no you i mean no um some of the sh- some of the guitar lines like in that uh that one that we were debating on that sanct- sanctified yeah i mean there's like a point where it's like you hear that and then the guitar line comes in and it's just one like strum that holds it but out yeah that and thing's then it like goes a out, lot of ba- oh, and then just it, bass guitar and then it does that screech again and then it's the guitar strum again but like on a higher like you know, uh, register. So it's, it's, uh, he's not playing like even live, like I'm sure he's like doing these guitar lines cause you need to have the guitar there and it adds the energy, but really like down in it, like, or had like a hole. That's what I'm thinking of. Like the way it starts 
Well, I was thinking Signified, Signified uh, has that same piece. way where it has these like guitar parts that kind of just come in, but it's just yeah. kind of like one strum note. But it's and real the whole bass song. and drum heavy. Yeah, all it is is and like the, the bass like drum. Yeah. yeah, and then sound effects on the yeah. keyboard. It just kind of gets going. And it's more so to like, it just condones uh, the vocals. Yeah, you know, because the vocals are so good. Well, think you know? of like my the classic image of Trent with the guitar hanging around his neck and he's grabbing the microphone with both hands classic on the image. on a stand and just screaming into it. It's like that's how you do that when like the guitar is just there to add those like um, on the chorus of head like a hole, you know, where you can They're just play and scream how they should be used. Yeah, they're more of a sound effect instrument than anything. Where you just what's the best thing about guitars? Fucking solos. It adds and the intensity a at that point. Solo? So a bunch of sounds. He he knows how to. He knows, and that's uh, I think to his not playing technicality, but just thinking. Knows when to bring guitar in, when to leave it out, when to what to play on the guitar. You know. Yeah. It's those little things matter more than just being really good and playing for three minutes long, or whatever the fuck. Like, it, I don't know. It's it's a way of looking at it in perspective. But yeah, it's it's down to like the songwriting and it's gonna have the guitar do that instead of and like weird sounds. I'm sure he's fucking doing weird shit too. So in the Dude, studio, you know what I mean? Like always, sampling yeah. a guitar and making that weird, just like how he's doing with the drums. Oh yeah. So there's like, so many. If you go on YouTube, there's so many videos of him in the studio. Or him talking about how he did these things. The sound effects. Kind of, he always shares his knowledge of songwriting and uh, knowing how to work these synth- uh, synthesizers and effects and mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. It's I watched like 30 minutes of that shit today and I didn't understand any of it because I've never sat down and like sampled something. I mean... I, I get the idea of what it is. Kind of like taking clips and recording it and like putting it in a... Like, you get a loop pedal, you've seen how it's done, you can just play a guitar riff, three chords, loop it, let it go on a track, mm-hmm. and then do a bass line, do the same thing, and you can get on the drums and just start nailing out shit, you know, going with that. Um, it's just knowing the, your, the knowledge of something like this recording mixer, this board right here in front of us, mm-hmm. you know, like, knowing that knowledge of engineering and production and producing and that's how like he was always able to just go in and he didn't need anyone else like everything well, he wor- was always working just, being the janitor yeah. and seeing other people do it and learning recorded produced yeah wrote like all of it it's always just been trent like even leaving nothing records all his record labels after that or like you know going to like something like capital and still just pumping out a album there and then moving on until he finally gets to his like very own where he just, I think it's like called a co-op or something. And, um, it's just under that label where again, when I got the slip album back in 2007, it was free. When it came out, you mm-hmm. just downloaded it and you got the entire album for free. Mm-hmm. I still have it on my iPod that I don't use. Um, <laughs> but it's on my computer and I fucking love that idea is because I didn't have Spotify at this point. This is still like streaming wasn't the biggest thing. Yeah, it yet. wasn't. You know what I mean? It was it was there, but it wasn't like getting super huge. There were still iPods for God's sake. So you bought music from iTunes, mm-hmm. put it over to your shit. 
This was just fucking free. And in that same year, um, I believe it was um, Radiohead did the same thing. Mm, yeah. yeah. Pulled this out was, that album completely like, for free and just gave it to the fans. And it's like you could pay, like, you know, set it up to where you can donate money or just put, like, a dollar or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? But writing music for one simple fact is more about writing it, like... Do you charge people? I guess you do, but to see artwork, you know what I mean? Like a painting, a, a sculpture that you sculpted, you, I guess you have people pay to come in and see it, but you could just look at a picture and that's artwork, right? So in hearing something, how can you put a price on hearing something? Like anytime you hear my song, give me a quarter. Like It, it just makes more sense. I, I get it because it's... This Being whole a musician thing, this yourself, whole thing you're like fucked up. Yeah. yeah, everything. But it was more of the music business side of things that put it in this state of where we're at. Like this was always gonna happen, but the the things that's going wrong to this day are still the record labels trying to pull in every fucking you know they can't. Yeah, every, yeah, because they're they're not making the money that they used to no. back then. They're not ripping these bands off. You can. You can just go and make your own album now. You don't and put need it out anyone. for free. Yeah, and Macklemore then, did that, like, and then get dude, big. Fucking made it myself. Yeah. All I need is someone to fucking, you know, um, push the album, distribute it for me, and you just get a distributing. Or gear. not even that. I you mean, don't even own. Yeah, some, you well, still yeah, own some, your yeah, shit. You know? get, get somebody to like physically make it if it gets to that point where yeah. you can't do it yourself. You get a label yeah. to maybe go on tour. Half these people, yeah, SoundCloud rappers or whoever, where you just. Putting out your music for free, somebody you get a, a big enough fan base, somebody contacts you, you get on a bill, or you contact somebody and you get on a bill and Yeah. It's I mean podcast, it's, right? It's totally self made. You know? At this at this point, you know, you can self make yourself as a musician. If you if you're talented, put in the work, it's like you have to check all the boxes, but it is possible to do it yourself now, whereas like you had to check all those boxes and have the help like it was necessary there was nobody yeah there was no getting around that there back in the was day. no and the internet allowed us to do that now exactly you know yeah. so it's a good and a bad thing to be mm-hmm. honest but i mean it sucks it's, because it's, we're musicians right it's good everybody can do it it's bad because everyone can do it because you flood the market yeah and that's what happens i mean i think it's just shitty for like I would say a well-known band, not a big band because a big band like on Spotify is selling more shit than they're selling Judas Priest is like making tickets. so much yeah, fucking they're, money. They're made. Yeah. But maybe someone that's a little bit smaller, it maybe they're just not making that revenue that they used to make 10 years prior. Mm-hmm. And for someone like us being even way down on that food chain, mm-hmm. it's great for us because we can, put our music out on the internet we, mm-hmm. we can have our music on spotify you yeah. know what i mean and it's a small fee to pay and that's awesome and what, what, so what many people we, can access it now what would we yeah. have done back in the day like no, how yeah. you make a tape and then you just play these shows you hustle to it to people out, right? you shop it around yeah. to record labels hey listen to that's us that's why you played constant shows was just to sell albums and merch sell like, albums yeah. and merch maybe there'd be a, a a PR person or a rep from a label at the, at the festival, at the show, you know, um, if you're playing in areas where these like 
places are if you or like these labels if you're playing in a in a environment you're just building up your rep you're playing with the right bands like all of these things have to align where back in the day to get to a point whereas today it's much easier to get to that same point and be just as like yeah but you like you said you really have to check off the box yeah, yeah like you have to be that genius you know you have to be talented you have to work hard yeah you have to write the songs you gotta you know you have to you do gotta everything. promote yourself you you your social media game has to be up you yeah. know i could blame myself for something like that where it's like where you just constantly have to keep posting things about your life letting people in well, yeah, build now, a bigger add social media on top music, of yeah the spotify aspect of music nowadays where like yeah now we can all create it now everybody can you have to flaunt in a way that you create it or like yeah you really actually, have to peacock you, you to get someone to, to notice like, you i mean it's not it's i not, think you just write a good song and that's it's not how you good get enough to you. It, yes but it's like you get it, that you plateau and like at some point you know there's like uh, a vice documentary i watched recently on like these like three or four like really like in the community, big black metal, death metal artists, but they're just guys at home recording themselves on electronic drum kits or even a real kit playing guitar. Literally these guys are all doing it themselves and they're putting out countless albums and like, you know what I mean? And they, that people are loving and people are loving in that community. You know what I mean? And it's literally these one and they never play shows. Never. Oh, really? It's one guy. I don't like, know you know what I mean? Well, Trent Reznor is one guy. But just get some people to fucking true. do it. But that, that was the point of the thing: is like these people don't they li- they're literally secluded themselves in their houses, make this music, never play outside of it, and just that's upload, a lot of black uploaded right? uploaded to the internet. But I mean, bands, yes, but yeah. individual people. We're talking about the Trent Reznors of the black metal. Well, that's also great, too, because yeah. you don't have to sit around here and wait to find a drummer. Exactly. You don't have to, like... Just go fuck. do it yourself, yeah. record it yourself. But Again, what have I, back, the talent. <laughs> my point is, you're going to plateau. Like, you got a Vice documentary made about you. That's it. You're not going to Lollapalooza. You're not going to... But what was your goal in becoming well, a musician? Well, was that, it just to write... Just to make music, I'm Just sure. to make music? Yeah. Not, not, but, not to become, like, super wealthy? Like, that'd be or great famous if it always or comes anything. with it. Yeah. yeah. But, like, Their it's something just, I can't stop doing and I'm going to do anyways, so, you know. But that that's, you have to accept, not even accept, you just have to completely, I don't know, not have any, not aspir. I'm trying to f- come up with the right words. It's not hope, but that the possibility of anything beyond that is that you're just, you're done. You have to be like content with that or just something. I don't know. It's something I can't really, you know. Wrap your head around? Wrap my head around. Like I, I get it and I like not poo-pooing on it or anything or saying like you're wrong. You can do whatever you want. But I think you just have to understand you're going to reach. You're not going to ever. You'll reach a sort of level and that's it. But hopefully like you make this music and it lasts for another 30 years. Another thirty years after you're dead, you know, well, maybe yeah. it lasts a hundred years. Where but you're like, never. Get, but people go back and maybe appreciate it more twenty I, years. If from you're now. looking to have those moments in like a legacy, I guess that's what I'm. I think saying. just recording like, and having it down. That's your only like, legacy. 
you know? I, and I if find it's all like, digital, yeah. that's scary because what if all the computers go down? Like you lose all, like I, I don't get I that think that's another aspect thing too. of not having physical copies anymore where people are just like, eh, just well, we grew up in like get fucking something that will last the test of time. Yeah. I mean, nowadays people are growing up with like the social media thing. So that's why it's like, you have to put out images and whatever of yourself on these platforms. Whereas like growing up, the thing was music videos, DVDs, CDs, interviews, 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 photo <laughs> shoots, all these weird things that we were only able to access because of whatever means like buying somebody's DVD and seeing all the like music videos and the weird behind the yeah, scenes, the booklets that the came with the CD things that they the home videos that they'd shoot yeah. themselves, the bands again, the booklet for like, the CD was like Wikipedia. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's like, probably even a little bit better because it really does some booklets just really lay out everything and it's all the equipment that they use and even Mm -hmm. like the drum skin sometimes it's not like sometimes it's like the the most vaguest shit and yeah vague you know it's like i don't know um i guess the point is trent didn't want to keep it in back to going back to trent Reznor. he didn't keep it in the studio and just to himself he had the idea of incorporating other people, making it large, making it grand. It's my idea, but this is what I want to do with that yeah. idea. I don't want to keep it to myself and just share the music. I want to share the experience of the music with you know other oh, engineers, yeah. other people playing it, people seeing it. Like it's more than that, I guess. So um, that, that's actually yeah, yeah. That was actually a great little. I think you know, that's that's speech. The, <laughs> I think that's the uh, right outlook out. Not right because that's not the, it's final thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that's my final thought on that. That's a, he he puts it out there even if it is one guy and you figure out how to do it live after going to the studio. He never thought how am I going to do this live as he was making these songs. He was just writing the songs. Write the and songs. Then we'll fucking figure it out when we get to that point. You know. Mm-hmm. You get some really talented people around you. He saw what ministry was doing. Okay, you can do it live. You can yeah. make crazy music in the studio. And and go out live and do it, even if you have to change around a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted, uh, before we wrap up, get into one little fun... Fun facts. Fun facts. Um, talking about producers again, I wanted to talk about John Fryer, another English record producer. Um, born in 1958, uh, he's old as fuck, and he's fucking amazing. Um, I never really heard of like uh, this mortal coil. Um, maybe that might have popped I've up time him, and time yeah. again. That's crazy. But when I was doing a little bit more research, uh, seeing some of the bands he worked with, it all makes sense that he was on this album: Depeche Mode, Dravi- Gravity Kills, White Zombie, Cradle of Filth was kind of weird to be on that list. Um, but black metal does kind of have that synth sound, um, him and obviously Nine Inch Nails, but the best part of all this was the soundtracks that he did and okay, let's, let's just go over the list of soundtracks, um, Clerks, Seven, Mortal Kombat, Johnny Munich, Mortal Kombat, More Combat, I didn't know it was called More More Combat, Combat. I don't think that, I think it's Annihilation. It just says more combat. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't know if that's a third one or what. <laughs> um, Feast, and I think that's Feast. Yeah, I that's think that th- crazy ass movie. 
with the monsters, it, the there baby. wasn't a fucking, there was no, it wasn't highlighted blue, so I couldn't double the ba- check the that one. Scene. Yeah, the baby scene, just monsters eat babies. Um, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And Resident Evil Apocalypse. Oh, God. Some of these are really goofy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Seven it's is cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Seven is fucking really cool. You know? Brad Pitt. Yeah. Fucking um, Mortal Kombat is even better. And we talked about this. Yeah. Where was Buckethead? So many people. Buckethead, Brain, George Clinton. Not the George Clinton from Parliament, but a different George Clinton. A different Who also George. worked on other crazy-ass movies. What like else did he work on? All the Austin Powers undercover brother all these weird comedies so it's like all these people are associated that do kind of like bizarre work which i'm a fan of and it's kind of weird where it's like all yeah these, all these goofy things that are like mortal combat that are kind of campy and everyone like, had their own song yeah what and i just i'm thinking of like austin powers too all three of them he did and like this is the goofiest well. the goofiest movie the goofiest movies but they're awesome but it's like they're they're pretty heat machine and and then yeah yeah (laughs) i also did cradle of filth you know and i did this kids movie like what uh johnny munich was kind of weird too where i was just like yeah that music was very synthy in that it wasn't a really good movie um i think henry rollins was in it fun but you know it's uh one of those um um god his name eludes me i'm just gonna say john wick movies before before he was John Wick, he was Johnny Munich. Um, I I want to say I I hope that it is that feast, that crazy monster movie where they're all in that bar in East Texas. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the fucking these crazy fucking monsters that wear like animal skin robes and fucking Jay from Jane's Silent Bob. Jason Mewes is there playing yeah, himself, yeah. and he gets fucked. Up. Oh, spoiler! It's <laughs> I think he gets a face ripped off or something like that. It, pretty quick. Um, yeah. Dude, I've loved that movie. I yeah, used to have it on DVD. I really wish it was streaming somewhere. Oh my! But it's I love looking up the producers and going back and seeing what they've done because that's where you see a lot of connections throughout all these episodes that we have done. Like we talked about, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Mark um, Eilish. Did I say that right? Oh, I. Uh, I can't read your handwriting. <laughs> I can't cool. read your notes. <laughs> I can't, it's can't like no, it was the, 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 the light was feeding, uh, blending through the paper, so all the uh, letters were... <laughs> Mark Ellis. Mark, Mark Ellis, Ellis, that's what Mark it is. Mark Ellis, yeah. Eilish. And just learning about some of his stuff where it kind of goes back in between episodes, and it even goes as far as uh, Devo, you know? Because mm. you're like four degrees away, you know, you're just working with people like Brian yeah. Eno and stuff like that. And all these people, this are list like of fucking bands, like yeah. the spider web of like the conspiracy, the, you know, the yeah. conspiracy of recording, of recording, like how <laughs> are great albums to. made? Well, um, because great fucking producers, good name. every the fucking conspiracy. time. Yeah. Besides, mm-hmm. well, even the Fugazi one was still a really good producer that was on that, that has done multiple things. They just bring someone in, to kind of have that outside look mm. and see it from a different angle. Because being the musician, being the person that wrote the song, you definitely don't hear it the same way as someone else, you know? Someone else is hearing the song way different than how you were even listening to it. Yeah. Even when it's recorded and you can stand back and being 
the songwriter listen to it, mm-hmm. it still doesn't sound the same. You're not focusing on the, like the way that someone heard it for the first time, exactly. hearing it for the very first time. Someone else that's you not you worked that yeah. song, you know. So always great to have like a genius outside mind to come in and kind of like steer it in the right way, you know. Mm-hmm. Just these little pieces uh where it's not like, the whole album just no the song. it's just the fucking, yeah, they're like the glue that just kind of holds well, with this together, one with, you know? with this album it's like he did that yeah he took that producer like role like incorporated it but was like no you only do this song and you only do part of this song and maybe another part of that like it was really smart not to let ever not to let one person completely take control again the mortal combat yeah. soundtrack like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like it when I was a kid. The song is fine. Can we end it on that song? Uh, maybe. No. We're going to end it on Sin, though. Uh, I, okay, I'm just going to go and I'm listening to, I'm going to try to listen to the entire Mortal Kombat soundtrack in this next week. Oh. I just want to, I only remember it from the stupid movie and all of it just sounds really like techno, yeah. like dance. There's some crazy names. I was looking at the track listing. So It's, oh, it's, Buckethead? Yeah. <laughs> he was what? <laughs> oh my god. Um great final thoughts, Chris. Yeah. Um if I could wrap it up, I just uh this kind of brings us that we're just kind of capping off our industrial like episodes where we'll have some that are like in between like the distillers and maybe a couple after this, but those three albums really had a lot of people just changing hands, mm-hmm. saying drummers, guitar players, producers, producers engineers, engineers, yeah. labels. Yeah, it goes on, and and even when we say like, well, it's a niche you thing. See, yeah, it's, but it's, you want to say like, um, the Distillers is out of like this order or concept. No, they were on fucking Sire Records, which was which Ministry was signed to when mm-hmm. they did Land of the Raped and Honey. So they they're on the same record label as Ministry. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the story, really. Josh, ha- Josh Homme comes in. Everyone's very close to each other. Yeah. And maybe it's the bands that we pick, and maybe because we're just staying in rock and roll more so. We're like, you know... Seeing people closely working together. Yeah. So. Um, I, I, maybe in some future episodes, we can kind of get outside of our comfort level and do something like the Bee Gees or... I mean, we've done crazy shit. So. We've done some crazy stuff, but it's... B-52s. Yeah. Devo. I've, I've loved everything that we've done, yeah. and every time we bring up the list, it's like, I kind of want to do every single one on there, even yeah. Hall & Oates, you know, where I'm yeah. just like, oh yeah, there is some good songs on this, you know? Or if we get to the Steve Miller band, where it's like, hey, it's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to those kind of episodes. Uh, what we have coming next is going to be fucking awesome. I guess we'll call it our Halloween episode, if you will, because um, we're, we're going to talk about gore. And it's going to be fucking amazing <laughs> because I've been so excited for this. And I believe they brought out their album in October uh, 26th. Yeah, we're going to get Because to of it. Halloween. That's what I'm saying. Because it's gore. So um, what song are we ending it with? Sin. Sin. Again, one of the singles on the soundtrack or on the <laughs> album, I'm losing my mind. Um, love every song off of here. Again, somehow we just ended up playing it from almost from start to finish. We just did the first three. We're <laughs> jumping to sin. But we always advise you 
to listen to albums from the beginning all the way through. Don't try to jump around and find songs. Just start with the album and let it roll. Um, you know, listen to it on your way to work and finish it when you're on your way home. You know, mm-hmm. just listen to it and step back in time. Yeah, and it takes a couple of times to really grow in something. Think about what it was back in the day. You saved up all your money to buy an album, and even if that album wasn't good, you still listened to it and drilled it into your head and fell in love with it in mm-hmm. some ways because you. That was all your money. You were waiting forever. We, we weren't spoiled in the fact that we have music at our fingertips now. Yeah. So I would say, you know, if these episodes are for any reason, go and listen to the entire album before listening to this episode or after and just listen to the album and just sit with the album for a little while. And, you know, now don't worry about everything else. No. Yeah. Right, and uh, thank you all for listening. Again, you can follow us on Facebook, Spotify, smash like the button, <laughs> YouTube, all that. Uh, at Bangover, mm-hmm. keep uh, keep an eye out for uh, what Bangover Productions the next episodes are going to be, and just everything yeah. like that. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>